I'm Elena Lansberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Elena. Welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. Well, today I have a conversation which is extremely, extraordinarily pleasing to me because I was surfing the internet and looking for grandmothers and older women involved in activism, as you know I want to do. And I came across the most wonderful headline that was talking about the badass grandmothers for democracy. And I thought, now there is a group of women <laughs> who I want to speak to. So today we're all gathered together, Dina. Butcher, Ellen Chaffee, and Kathy Tweeten, who are the originators of the Badass Grandmothers. And I know that originally, and I think it still exists, the North Dakotans for Public Integrity. We'll talk about that and how that relates to the Badass Grandmas. And I sort of want to do this framing, Dina, Ellen, and Kathy, that there are different things we'll talk about. How do you work across partisanship? Does it matter that you are older women? Was there a reason why you used grandmas? Badass, I definitely want to know why. But is there a reason why you self-identify? Is there a reason why badass women and grandmothers are able to talk about accountability and democracy in the particular way and corruption that you brought to light and do something about it? We're going to get to all of that. But first of all, welcome, Dina, Ellen, and Kathy. It's wonderful to have you on Grandmothers on the Move. Well, thank you. Thanks, Alana. Let's start with the origin story. The origin story starts with my grandson, Owen Beal, who was a football player and a senior in high school last year or two years ago when all this happened. He was going to do an interview with me for a deal that was coming up and had one of our brochures for Citizens for Public Integrity in his car. His football playing friend looked at the brochure and he said, is that your grandma? And Owen said, yeah. And he said, she's badass. (laughs) And so I brought that to our next North Dakotans for Public Integrity meeting. And we decided that was a good label for those of us with grandchildren or with We're doing honorary badass grandmas too, but that became kind of our banner and it was a great conversation starter in small communities that we would go into. And we did get the pushback (laughs) on it not being terribly dignified, but who gives a rat's ass about that? Well, that's what makes you badass, I imagine. (laughs) Well, we're taking the new definition for badass, though. Maybe once upon a time, people saw that as something derogatory. But really, if you just Google it, you can find that it really means courageous, brave. And I think what North Dakotans for Public Integrity did and are doing and badass grandmas, it takes a little courage. (laughs) Right. And I would imagine, too, that some of it is a little bit of a paradigm shift and kind of iconoclastic, that there is something powerful and challenging about the work that you're doing. And as grandmothers, as older women, you're doing it with bravado and fearlessness. And somehow 
somehow that name, badass grandmas, to take it a little too seriously for a moment. That's not actually a small thing to assume a moniker that kind of suggests we're coming for you. This is Ellen. It's kind of a two-edged sword, though, because what we did together, North Dakotans for Public Integrity, at the end of the day was to add an article to the state constitution for ethics and integrity and transparency of funding and anti-money and politics. It's a very, very solid change in the law that was vigorously opposed by every piece of the business establishment, certainly. And even the Catholic Church was opposed to it. We haven't quite figured out what well we have, but it it's obscure, and yet they came out very much against it. So we've been working on it for several years. We've had experiences with corruption, and we just weren't going to have it anymore. And the more we learned about what's been going on in our country over the last decade or more, the more determined we were to carry this out. We got very lucky with some national support and some outstanding allies, both in and out of state. But it turns out that everybody wants good government. Nobody likes corruption. So we got very strong support from all sides. Tempted to say both parties, but really it's a broader range than that. But it was very threatening and we were being very sharply attacked. So get back to the badass grandma piece. One edge of the sword is, as you suggested, look out people, here we come. We may be grandmas, but we're not your ordinary grandmas. And the other side of it is, how could this be such a scary thing if the grandmas are in favor of it? And then we also went very strongly and with great conviction and authenticity on the lines of we're not going to leave this for our grandchildren. We are not going to allow this to stand for our grandchildren. So that's where the badass comes from. That makes sense. And I've heard a lot from grandmothers and older women that I have been interviewing over the last couple of years. A lot of grandmothers who are doing pretty serious protesting, particularly around environmental protests, who are doing the work identifying as grandmothers, partly because the motivation is thinking about the future. It may not even be that they have their own grandchildren, but it's about the future that will be inherited by children of grandchildren age. And I hear you that it works both ways, but it's also part of what you want people to understand about the motivation for doing it. Is that right? You know, I'm embarrassed, quite frankly, by having sat back and not leaned in far enough on these issues that are troubling us now. Because the white guys, the old white guys, were the ones that had the power or appeared to have the office, the position that we had to acquiesce to and or pay respect to. I wished I had been louder when I was sitting around the governor's table or at another elected office group of people, because each of us, us three, I mean, Ellen has a PhD and was the president of two colleges at one time. We talk about dancing backwards in high heels. She did it for a long time. And Kathy ran the extension, the North Dakota Extension Services Leadership Program, which has inspired and empowered a lot of people in the rural areas to get up and off their chairs and do something to keep their communities in place. And I'm not going to brag about myself. I'm just mad. I've been pissed off for three years, and this is a good way to express it and not to be marginalized because I hate that part of getting old is that people look at you with your white hair and wrinkles and don't think you have anything to offer anymore. Well, we showed them, didn't we? You sure did. And I mean, that's part of it too. And Dina, we shouldn't depreciate the extraordinary wealth of expertise and illustrious positions you've held too in government. And I think part of what's so interesting about what the three of you, and I know you enlisted others, that what you did was to bring all of that expertise, years of professional and political savvy to the table to figure out how to deal with the corruption that you saw. The more I read 
read, the more fascinated I was about who the hell are these women? How did they do this? You know, it's a lot of hope for those of us who are kind of despairing that this kind of decency could be resurrected in the heartland of your country right now. And I guess my question is, is this a story about nonpartisanship? Is it a story about a blow to a dysfunctional system? Is it a story about having the savvy, the decency, the expertise, and the gumption of older women actually can affect change in a moment where cynicism and a lot of inability to work together seems to be the defining characteristic of the political landscape at the moment? Or is it a combination of all of those things? I think the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. To all of the above. Okay, I'll start. This is Kathy. As you were asking the questions, I'm not, I've never have been party affiliated person. I've always just voted for the person I thought would do the best job. And so you can call me an independent or just simply non-party, I guess. But the reason I got involved is because of Ellen and Dina. That's the truth. They asked me to come to the table. And before I had retired from being a public employee, a state employee, you know, you really don't get involved in politics. And once I retired, you can see some things that just kind of trigger, yes, this is not appropriate behavior. You could see the corruption and it just changes the way you feel about things. And and once you retire, you have the opportunity to actually get involved. And I could see that the civil society wasn't functioning very well. The system wasn't functioning, obviously. We did have corruption and you could see it. So being a grandmother, I see that as a step up, not a step down. And someday maybe a great grandmother, I mean, that's explosive. Then you really (laughs) hit the top, I think. But I think that what we did was really great level. Uh, We had a lot of help from a lot of people. It wasn't three people doing all of this, but we did hit the road. Ask Ellen how many miles were put on her car. Just going from town to town, talking to people, talking about what we were trying to do. And I think just being local resonated with a lot of people. This is Ellen. Two short things that come to mind as I listen to both of you. One is what this means to me. Well, like I think maybe all women, I have a fix-it gene. If I see something that needs fixing, I have to fix it. And the reason it looked like it needed fixing was that it was so contrary to, as I think Dina said earlier, how I had lived my whole life, assuming that things were proper and being done correctly and honestly and feeling completely betrayed once I actually had to interact with the system and it just plain made me mad. So there's a whole lot of justice and cleaning house that goes with grandmas too. It's real for me. The other thing though, on a, on a whole different dimension, here's a story that illustrates my point. I ran for statewide office seven years ago and I was asked to do it three weeks before the convention and I was not a member of the party. So they were pretty desperate for a candidate and I was totally inexperienced. And the first thing that happened after I accepted the nomination was the campaign manager said, where's your address list and phone list? We need to start calling people for money. Well, you know, I was a university president and I said, I don't don't do that. That's called phone-a-thon and we hire students to do that. (laughs) I'm sure she just wanted to crawl away. I thought, well, there goes the campaign. But anyway, I was completely astonished at how utterly dependent elections are on money. But then at the end of the campaign, we were having our little rah-rah session and I had a chance to speak and I told a joke and my running mate said afterwards, where did you get that? I've never heard you tell that one before, even though we've been everywhere together for about four months. And I said, well, you live long enough. You just have a vast inventory.
more to draw from. <laughs> and I think that's part of what of the magic in our group. And really, it was a core group of 12. And by God, it was the right 12 people because what one of us didn't have, another one did. Whether it was a network or a piece of information, whatever it was, it all worked out. And older people do bring an awful lot to the party. And I think each one of us, because we have nothing to gain by what we're doing at this stage in life, yes. we're not on any kind of a quest for political favor or political office. And obviously, we've made enough people angry with us that that wouldn't be possible anyway. But I think on a local level, when we met people, they recognized, A, that we were authentic. We had nothing to gain. We weren't asking them for money. We just wanted them to express their experiences with this eroding kind of corruption. And I think at every level, even though our legislation or our article in the Constitution deals with state office holders and elected officials and doesn't deal with city level or municipal level elections and so on, most people in these small communities that we visited could cite an example where they had either been dismissed for asking a question that appeared to be embarrassing to someone or cutting too close to the quick. People got it because they'd experienced it. They'd experienced the arrogance of a person they sent off to the legislature to Bismarck who had just been, you know, a humble, maybe retired guy who had the time to do this and came back with just an attitude that offended people, that really put them off. It was tapping into a lot of other people's experiences that led us to the win that we got on this because they too had experienced what we were seeing on a different plane. But the other thing I think in my situation where Republicans hold all the offices in North Dakota, every elected office in the state capitol is held by Republican, which is the party that I have belonged to, the party for which I ran for a statewide office and lost in a very close election in 1996. But I am of a moderate Republican Party, not the party that is now throwing weight around to the extent that it has caused some of the corruption that we have sought to change. And I think we gave permission to a lot of people who do not subscribe to a Democrat party or a Republican party, but are that in-between independent group to vote what they know, not what they're told to vote. It wasn't about a person. It was about an ideal. It was a policy. And I think that's where we were also successful in that we were not partisan saying you do this because you're a Republican or you do this because you're a Democrat. Our country has become so deeply divided. And I think so many people are really tired of it. To have something that's safe to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner was really a joy for people. I've been saying left or right, we can't agree on something. Why don't we just set it aside? Because there's plenty that we do agree on that needs to be fixed. And a lot of people here are asking, what can I do? I feel like I need to do something. So other nations, please don't give up on us yet. (laughs) What was your experience around mobilizing people and educating them and getting their attention long enough and how they responded and why they responded? And how much of a difference do you think it made that you were older women? A lot of people, and this scares the hell out of me, is that there is a fear of people to speak out because they need either their jobs or their partner's jobs, or they're worried about their children's status and whatever they're doing. So there is this sense of not speaking out. But what I think we did was we empowered these people to vote the right way. 
they didn't feel comfortable necessarily coming to a rally or being named in an ad or calling a talk show, but they did vote the way that their hearts were telling and minds were telling them to vote that was best for their children and grandchildren. But I did experience women who I worked with in state government, men as well, who were still working there, who said, you're right, it's happening. We need to do something. Thank you. And so I knew that we had that undercurrent of those who could not voice their opinions except quietly in the voting booth on the ballot. And I think that's so important right now because, A, I'm a first-generation American. My parents left Germany in 1939, not because they wanted to, but because they had to, because my father was a Jew. So this is very near and dear when we talk about fear. Right. You know, Ellen and I were with a group not long ago, and it still exists, that whole area of fear. We, we heard from several people that they didn't feel they had a voice, that they couldn't express their own opinion because they were scared, as Dina said for their jobs, you know, because the pushback is so great. So that I think I mentioned before the civil society, it just seems to be deteriorating to a point where people's respect for one another isn't like it used to be. It is scary. An underlying element of that is mistrust, which has only gotten worse in the last few years with all this false information. Every day you're hit with information that's not true. People don't know how to sort it out. So when you present them with something, for example, a petition to sign, their reaction is to pull back. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can trust this. And fear, I would totally agree with. But as you indicate, uh, Ilana, that this is a multidimensional process. And what came to my mind first, as you phrased the issue, was fun. Because I think it was important that the three of us were having a blast. And so we were able to kind of alternate between serious and fun and friendly and approachable kind of demeanor as we went all around the little towns in the country and just, just making friends and finding points of agreement. Eating caramel rolls. Eating caramel, yeah. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll never forget the day that somehow Ellen locked the doors <laughs> The doors to the car, but the back seat of her SUV or the back door was open. And Ellen's quite petite, and fortunately, she's also able to move better than I could ever have done. But talk about getting a great shot of a badass grandma. She was probably in the back of the car. <laughs> just sent that around again recently just to keep our star sense of humor up. But it, was, <laughs> it was a great day. And actually, I think it was right in front of a sign to Lawrence Welk's homestead. Or I think it was. <laughs> So we did We did have some great laughs and met some wonderful people along the way. And the welcome was, you know, we had very few skeptics. Even when we would walk into an all-male coffee circle, which we did one, oh, yes. one, after, one morning, there were yeah. good questions, yeah. and we might not have converted them all to vote, but there was, oh, a, there was a certain amount of civility. They didn't try to shout us down, and they seemed to respect our age and what we were doing. Tell me the story. It's very hard to imagine these days. I'm sure people have said this to you before, but I have friends in the States who are now avoiding family dinners because they were afraid of the conversation. So how the heck did you come together? You weren't just two grandmothers and older women, Dina and Ellen, who cared about the world around them and were involved in their families. You had been partisan political actors. How did you surmount what others are finding so difficult? 
did you just like each other or what what happened we do like each we other <laughs> this is Kathy you know I really think the bottom line is we kept it away from party we didn't talk about party at all it was all about the issue of anti-corruption yeah. and what article 14 or measure one at that point was trying to do and people were very receptive to that like Ellen said earlier I mean nobody's for corruption and so it's easy to have the conversation when just leave party yeah. totally out of it another element is that it only takes one rabid person to spoil a dinner. So I think a lot of people can kind of maybe gingerly feel each other out, find looking for points of agreement and so on. But if there's some uncompromising person who's on a mission, it only takes one of them. And you don't know who that's going to be because we've never been in a place like this before. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty horrific. And I think so many of the groups that we have found nationally and internationally are so disturbed because politics has become all about money and it's become obscene as far as how much money is being spent. And in the States, it's Citizens United, the act by the Supreme Court that allowed corporations to be considered people. And this spent toward such hostility among the parties and that sort of thing all stems from that, it seems like, because the groups that are now taking advantage of those loopholes or that enabling thing have spawned so much of this incivility. So when we talk about transparency and how money has caused this, there is agreement. There's Mm -hmm. agreement around the table, partisan or not, that money has spoiled how our politics are done. Us Eisenhower Republicans just can't remember a time when it was this heated and this toxic in family discussions. So I think you just find the topics that you can come back to and by God, talking about the grandkids and what kind of world you want them to live in helps a lot to focus the attention away from the characters, people, because that's the tough one. You take sides on a Trump or a Sanders and you got to fight on hands, but you talk about the future you want for your grandkid and whether that grandkid should get involved in politics someday and how would that be possible in this kind of environment. And I wonder what your grandchildren think about you. Did you involve them, depending on their ages, I'm sure, but was it important to you to have your grandchildren be aware of what you were doing? Kathy's are too young. Mine are half a continent away, but they're very aware of what we've been doing and supportive, but they're teenagers, so can't expect to. I know that mine were involved to the extent that they got a kick out of my being badass grandma, but it depends on what day of the week, if it's a football game or a basketball game. You know, those those take priority over going to a rally at the Capitol. But I am impressed with the support and my granddaughter who lives in Alaska. It was great fun what, three years ago to go to the women's rally in Anchorage, Alaska in 40 below weather with mm-hmm. my daughter, my granddaughter and me. It was cold. It was really, really cold. But there was an amazing turnout even there on that day when so many rallied in Washington and Bismarck and other places. So, yeah, I think they're very much aware wherever they are. And as my granddaughter perused shops in the airport on their way from Anchorage one time, she found my badass ring that she brought for me. And it's been one of those things where, yes, I know they know what we're doing is for them. And for that, they're grateful. Makes sense. You could have called yourself badass women or badass older women, but it can't be an accident that you're using grandma. 
I resonate with uh, what you just said, and I would add that I hope it gives them a sense of agency themselves, that whatever is closest to their heart, that they will feel empowered and inspired to proactively take it on as best they can wherever they are. This is Kathy. I'm still working on my daughter to get her to (laughs) that point. Both of my daughters are pretty fiery personalities, and both of them are very much progressives. They, to their father's chagrin, I remember sitting one evening after the girls had been there for, I guess it was a holiday dinner or something, and he sort of put his head in his hands and he said, what did we do wrong? (laughs) Both of our daughters are Democrats. (laughs) And I laughed and I said, we gave them the opportunity to think for themselves. (laughs) So he was okay with it. That was many years ago. That was before this steady stream of things that we have cause to be upset about every day. Right. It was a different time. And so now what happens? to the badass grandmas for democracy now. I assume that you are keeping the fires burning. What is it that you have in mind now in terms of the next steps? Well, Ellen is our cattle project. (laughs) (laughs) She's our lightning rod. She's our spark plug, whatever we're going to say, because she is keeping us together every day on information. But my personal goal is to just keep giving these other generations coming up faith and hope and voice because I am really worried with some of the women who are in their 50s and they're in their career track and they're plodding away and working hard, but they don't have a support system because, well, the 50-year-olds probably don't have the babies there anymore, but but the women's issues are not getting advanced. These women cannot run for political office, young women anyway, because they don't have the child care that they need. They don't have a support system and then their workplace doesn't allow them the same privileges sometimes that they have allowed for others. So that worries me sometimes. And Ellen, what are you going to prod people about? (laughs) (laughs) So the Badass Grandmas have a website, badassgrandmas.org, and a Facebook page. And that came about because we were told at a national meeting last year that we are a movement because people resonate so strongly to the idea of Badass Grandmas for Democracy. So we thought, well, what can we do to try to trigger more of this? And so we have them. We don't have staff. We don't have a budget. So, But they're there, and hopefully people will join on the Facebook page. That would be great. The idea is we're just trying to engage women of our generation in particular with civic matters and civic issues. We have a sister group that someone new to the cause has been building in the largest city in North Dakota, in Fargo. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been to three other towns in North Dakota, two coffee groups or organizational groups. We show a 10-minute video and talk about the state of our democracy and just basically trying to encourage people to get engaged with government and elections. This being the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage and of the League of Women Voters in the U.S. is an ideal time because there's a lot going on along the lines that Dina was advocating. And so we're partnering with a couple of other organizations to really make this the year the women's vote is loud and undeniable. So we'll just take it as it goes. And quite frankly, we start out with this is that we're not accepted 100% by women of 
our age, there is always the less than favorable attitude toward our name, badass. So I kind of called people that think it is disrespectful to call ourselves badass grandmas. I called them the tight ass grandmas. <laughs> so we have the badass and the tight ass. Well, I think you should get everyone t-shirts. <laughs> it's like the sneeches with stars and the sneeches without stars. <laughs> you know, I think it's important that we're not really pushing any one issue or anything or measure right now. We're involved in some things, but what we're trying to do with the whole movement is to get people engaged in what affects them personally or what triggers their heart. If it's kids in school not getting hot lunch or whatever their issue is, if it's local or state, it doesn't matter. Just do something. Yeah. And running for office. Yes. Right and one of the most tragic things I heard on our travels recently was we were just saying, you know, lean in, speak up when you hear something that's stupid or not true. And they said, there's no, re- I can't do that. That mm-hmm. just turns into an argument. That There's that sense of futility that if you're the voice of reason, you won't be heard. And that saddens me greatly. And this was from a sweet woman who probably we wouldn't agree on the name maybe, but she was just so genuine and sincere. It just made me think this is what's happening in some of these small communities that because you traditionally support a church and a supporter in the community, and now you're a woman of a certain age and people don't listen to you when you speak your truth. And that's just horrible to me that they're getting shouted down or just intimidated to the extent that they won't speak their truth. So I think if we can make people feel that they have something to say and that they need to speak up in the face of that kind of bullying, because that's what it is, the shouting over that, that's bullying. All three of our recent engagements had elements of that. And one in particular, I thought, boy, I'm glad I have a counseling degree which I remembered how to do it because people were deeply, deeply troubled. How do I talk? I don't know who my friends are anymore or my family members. I can't talk to my family members. We just need to find our way back. from We need to find what we agree on and fix that. It used to be that that kind of talk, why can't we all just get along? Where can we find the points of agreement? It was almost like Hallmark cards. That used to be trite, but I hear what you're saying, and I certainly heard it from other women, particularly in the U.S., that there is so much trauma and so much upset and turmoil that actually finding points of connection and a way to have a civil conversation is difficult. And I see women like you you took on something extraordinarily important and you made it happen and you were successful and you rallied people to the cause of having some legislation in place to deal with corruption and accountability and all of that. But in addition to that, I think there's another ripple effect to all of this, which is that you set what is sadly a remarkable example that people can work together across partisanship, that people can be mobilized to do the right thing and identify what the right thing is together, that people have a voice, and that older women have a vital and important contribution to make. In fact, you may have been the only ones who could be the gatekeepers of this kind of conversation. And that's what I think. What do you think? charges my batteries right now is that I see this arc kind of that we have a younger generation of the young anti-gun activists, the Parkland kids and the Greta Thunbergs of the world who are mobilizing elementary and high school kids to have their Friday rallies and so on. And then you have women at the border in Texas that we had some contact with who were the abuelas. They're an inspiration. You've got omas in Austria that were really quite vocal when the right wing was pushing to take their government over. And so there is this arch of young 
activists and us crones <laughs> trying to have reason or make sense of a very complicated time. Certainly, as I said, charges my batteries when I see that. I feel that way too. I used to ask everybody, what do you think would change if everyone listened to grandmothers? But now we know legislation and constitutions would change <laughs> if people were listening <laughs> to badass grandmothers. So it seems a little redundant to ask you that question. Do you think that if it had been 10 years ago, do you think that you would have come together and taken this on? There's no reason why you shouldn't say yes. It's just, did the moment you were in in life have something to do with how you dove into it, how you came together? Or was that, is that just who the three of you are. This is Kathy. I probably wouldn't have gotten involved because 10 years ago, I would have still been employed by North Dakota State University. And it was never really encouraged when you're a public employee to become too politically involved. After all, your budget is at stake, right? (laughs) So you really, you just got to be a little bit careful. I think I had been lulled into believing that the party wasn't that bad and that if we had control again, that we weren't going to be that extreme as it's become. And so I think I was just not ready to take on a challenge. And in 2014, I took on my first measure and it was to defeat a measure because I did realize that the the Republicans had taken a turn that I couldn't agree with on social issues. But in 2010, no, I wouldn't have been ready. One of the things that made it all possible for us was partnership with some people who really in spades knew what they were doing and whose top priority was our success. And so we've often said we'd never have gotten into it if we had known what all was involved. So without the expertise and the encouragement of some knowledgeable people, we probably wouldn't have stayed through to the end. I don't think we could have. What surprised you most about this whole venture? The part that surprised me the most, when I got involved, I thought, well, who in the world would be against transparency, you know, and for corruption? And I thought, well, this is a shoe-in. I mean, why would you not want this? I found out different. There's a lot of corporations and businesses that kind of like corruption and not showing where the money comes from or how it's spent. We're of an age, I've had cataract surgery in the past four or five years. And you know, when you first get that and all of a sudden you can see more clearly and the colors are more vivid. And that's kind of what this has taught me is that it's not the view that you've had before. Suddenly you're much sharper, your acuity and seeing what is and then pinpointing what has to be done. And another word that's been going through my mind as we've been talking and back to the young people and a bunch of grandmas is it's almost like there's a crusade beginning with these democracy groups that we're affiliated with and what we saw at is that there are movements and you see it in pockets here and there, but in all the initiatives that are going on across this country, there is a crusade building to fix things. Yeah, that was just astonishing to me. Somebody said, when they talked about the first Unrig Summit, they said, you know, this is where the gang gets together. Oh, we have a gang. (laughs) Oh, look at this. On the other side, though, the forces against us have all the money, all the money. And the extent to which they are networked, the extent to which they don't give a damn about anything but their own self-interest and greed is overwhelming. We must put a stop to it. But you know, it was surprising. We got support from individuals. All of our money came from individuals. And it came from people across the country. Yeah. More from everywhere else than actually from North Dakota citizens. So there's a lot of support for each other across the nation, which is really exciting. To uh, put a point to that, one of our donors 
It lives in a trailer park in California and gives a dollar a month. Another of our donors is retired at about 45 and invested $200,000 in our campaign. So there are a lot of good-hearted people out there who we all contribute in different ways. This is really wonderful. Thank you very, very much, not just for the conversation, but for everything you've done and continue to do. And to you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Elena Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.